0: Someone posted out basically saying that the the health group has basically discouraged casual sex during COVID because everyone's going to obviously get the COVIDs. Um, But if you're going to have it, you need to, quote, be creative with sexual positions and physical barriers like walls that allow sexual contact while preventing close face-to-face contact. If that is not another way of saying glory hole, I don't know what (laughs) it is. I'm... Huh.
1: Not a hundred percent sure about this, but I'm I'm at a loss as to what whichever position you choose to use, how that's going to enforce a two meter distance.
0: <laughs> well, speak for yourself.
1: Friends and enemies, people of the world, welcome to Bad Voltage Series 3, episode 7. Woo-hoo! Yeah. I'm here as ever with <laughs> John and Jeremy and how have you chaps been?
0: Uh, it's been a hell of a few weeks, hasn't it? Jeez, It's yeah, what? sure has. I thought 2016 was pretty bad. Do you remember? Was it 2016 when every every celebrity died? Yep, <laughs> there was like fifty celebrities were just not just dropping dead. Twenty twenty, what is happening right now? It is turning out to be an outrageous year. Yeah, God, I think everybody is just this mutual human condition of like, fuck this shit. Yeah,
1: the the only thing which is going to be worse is in 2021 when everyone says, well, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, and then you have to punch them for being the 58th
0: person to make that joke. (laughs) All right. And now this. So. We usually put funny stuff in this point in the show, and we actually went out to genuinely go and find some funny news. And we, we're not, we're not doing this for effect or, or, or drama. We literally couldn't find anything that's funny right now. No, no this, it's a bit bollocks, isn't it?
1: This is more your sort of um, laughter of
0: triumph over a defeated enemy rather than actual joy <laughs> in any way. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit crap, isn't it? So we're gonna we're gonna pull out three things that I guess are more interesting than funny. Um, and then uh, and then we're all going to have a good cry afterwards so, Yes, welcome
1: um, to John O'Bacon's Schadenfreude Corner
0: <laughs> we, I'd call it that if I could spell Schadenfreude <laughs> you, you don't have <laughs> so, to write the show notes and this is why <laughs> He types in S-C-H and tab um, Anyway, so... Uh, apparently, the, the we've got a couple of ones that relate to uh, New York City, uh, which is not far from our uh, our uh, correspondent, Mr. Jeremy Garcia, of course. Um, uh, so, the New York City Health uh, Department has discouraged orgies, advocated for glory holes, and sexy Zoom parties. So, apparently. Um, Someone posted out basically saying that the the health group has basically discouraged casual sex during COVID because everyone's going to obviously get the COVIDs. Um, But if you're going to have it, you need to, quote, be creative with sexual positions and physical barriers like walls that allow sexual contact while preventing close face-to-face contact. If that is not another way of saying glory hole, I don't know (laughs) what it is. I'm huh not
1: a hundred percent sure about this but i'm i'm at a loss as to what whichever position you choose to use how that's going to enforce a two meter distance
2: <laughs> well speak for uh, yourself just glad uh, <laughs> nyc health is is doing impactful work yeah, it's, it's
1: um what's good what's going on in new york
2: evidently quote video date sexting subscription-based fan platforms and sexy zoom parties is what's going on in new york <laughs>
1: I suppose, to be honest (laughs) with you, if it keeps people inside their own houses, I'm basically in favor of it.
0: (laughs) What I love about this is, when they were writing this quote, right? Normally, someone would, would kind of look at writing a quote like that and think we should probably try to make this as general purpose as possible, such as, you know, uh, if engaging in sexual contact, make sure that you use barriers, a physical barrier of some description. Right. But I'm sure that then they were like, but people might think they're referring to condoms, which are often referred to as a, a barrier. But the fact that they say literally in the quote, physical barriers like walls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe they mean the ice cream.
0: Right. I, I just right. like how
2: actionable and specific so many of the quotes are. Uh, if you decide to go find a crowd, make sure that the orgy happens in a larger, more open, well ventilated space. <laughs> it's also a good idea to potentially narrow down your original guest list. That's a real quote from a health that's article it. from the New York City
0: Department of Health. So, I, I, I 2020, I this killing is it.
2: Cure rather than
1: prevention. What else is going on in New York?
0: By the way, I don't. I just won't find anything. Uh, I've not been to many orgies in my life. In fact, I don't think I've been to a single orgy in my life. But I'm guessing that most of them not well ventilated. Um, <laughs> anyway,
1: I, I I I suspect um, in the open air is a bit of a no-no for legal reasons, if nothing else. But you know. <laughs>
0: Alright, so also staying in theme with the uh, uh with with New York, we're now talking about the New York City Police Department Commissioner who said that officers drove who drove into protesters did not violate a use of force policy. So apparently they drove into them with a car. Yes. Yeah. And uh what was her name? No. Who is it? I'm trying to read this in the article, but uh, Commissioner Dermot Scheer, uh, uh testified in an online public hearing and said our Internal Affairs Bureau investigate this information in preliminary uh, uh, results of, of the accounting of the incident were that the office were in a situation that were essentially being penned in by protesters so um, this other person said, in that particular instance, is your testimony that the police car was an appropriate use of force? And said, I'm not saying that the police car was u- was used as a use of force. The officers were set upon and attacked. So basically, yes, it was to get out, from what I can tell. I'm not entirely sure what I think about this, because on one hand, if I think if you penned in, then you got to get out if it's dangerous. But on the other hand, driving a car into a bunch of protesters is probably not a good idea. So. I,
1: I am sure what I think about this, and here's what I think about this. You can't drive cars over people,
0: regardless of whether you're <laughs> the
1: police or not. That seems like, you know, a reasonably clear, bright-line test, right? Did you draw, Did yeah. you drive a car over someone? Yes? Then yeah. you're in the wrong. Q-A-day.
0: find another way out yeah it's a good point find another way out I mean
1: presumably if um someone was pending by the police and drove their car over police officers the busies wouldn't go oh well you had
2: to get out so that just happened here yeah, yeah it's really
1: yeah
2: that's go on <laughs> you can't just one leave week, that in the air one week overall uh, there, there was a line of uh, officers in the street and an SUV drove through them Oh, Jesus. Right, and that's a no-no.
0: Yeah, a li- policy, every- Everybody, whether you're a protester, whether you're a police officer, or whether you're just down at the pub, please, no driving cars over people.
1: Yeah, don't drive just cars a- over people. End of rule.
0: <laughs> yeah, but in a rather nice, neat segue to cars, the final one that we've got here in our hall of shame here is uh, that apparently on the morning of Juneteenth, uh, Tesla told employees that they could take the day off unpaid that morning,
1: <laughs> and <laughs>
0: like... and attempted to claim that it was holiday,
1: and they were doing a respectful thing, um, in order to um to celebrate Juneteenth and to recognise um people's uh, uh desire to desire to celebrate this particularly important day. They said you can choose to not go into work, and then we won't pay you. But surely right. you can do that any day, right? That's how salary works. <laughs> that,
0: that's just taking a day off,
2: isn't that's
1: it? just taking a day off. It's, it's also yeah. noted that
2: the email arrived late enough in the morning that West Coasters had already come to work. So if yeah, you're on the East Coast, bu- you are basically going to lunch.
1: Yeah, a whole bunch of people were already at work when this came in. It's the most ridiculous. I mean, there's been an awful lot of bandwagon jumping by big companies on, uh, yeah. on yes. the Black Lives Matter movement and on everything else where they're um, trying to come up with a way where they can
0: costlessly declare support. But this took a yep. biscuit, in my opinion. I think what's really interesting about this is I agree with you that there's bandwagon jumping and some of it's been... <clears throat> obviously, some of it's been been great, right? When you see companies kind of get behind the movement and all the rest of it. And some of it's just been... A pretty feckless attempt to just kind of curry favor in a period where i think they're expected to kind of make some kind of statement and what disappoints me about tesla who i usually love is this just seems completely unprepared and being unprepared for juneteenth in the u.s it's just not an option, right? This is something that had been talked about for a long time. They should have had something, in some kind of plan. This seems really weird to me. I suspect that they had a plan and then it was changed at the last minute because this just seems like who would do this?
1: See, that's not how Most- I read it at all. I, um, my assumption with this was they went, oh, oh we hadn't heard of this Juneteenth thing because literally everyone who works at the company is white,
0: and so, oh, we, we oh, better, do, we better on, do something. don't be fucking off. stupid. That's not. <laughs> Come on! Of course, they've heard of Juneteenth, well, then, right? Well, it's then been then why everywhere. Didn't
1: they, why didn't they have a plan? I'm going. Well, on that's a, my I'm point. I'm evidence. saying.
0: See? Well, wait. We no, you're not going on evidence. You're going on what we read on this one news article, right? <laughs> what? And what I'm saying is that the fact that this happened so late for a company that's historically pretty prepared in any kind of. Frankly, they're a pretty organised company. This seems unusually sloppy for Tesla, which I would have liked to think that something else is going on. And you see, but this is this is
1: absolutely my point that no one takes a reasonably good plan and, in a hurry, replaces it with a worse plan. Which means that if they decide to do something in a rush, it's only because they thought, well, the thing we were doing wasn't gonna be good enough. But what can they have been doing with their carefully worked out nuanced plan that was worse than we'll let you take the day off and won't fire you?
0: I'll give you I'll give you one example of where a great plan can turn into a terrible outcome is when someone at the top of a company overrules the great plan and then they have to somehow scramble to do something. Now, I'm not saying that's Elon Musk. I'm not saying it's a member of the board. I'm not even saying that's happening. But the three of us have all seen that where you work for a company and you've got an awesome plan and then someone at the top basically overrules and it goes to shit.
2: I love the huge that amount of me- conjecture followed by, I'm not saying that's what hap- what's happening here.
0: <laughs> in the, in a legal sense, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Right, right, let's get down to uh, some more serious stuff. Oh, well, it's kind of more serious. Less, all right, what le- have we got? Yeah,
1: less schadenfreudery, perhaps. Less Schadenfreud, yes. Yes. We have talked a bunch about uh, people collecting data and so on, but um, one thing that I ran into that, were, that I thought was interesting this week is the IRS, um, friend to all of you Americans, is now using <laughs> cell phone data to attempt to track potential suspects. Apparently, until 2018, prosecutors needed reasonable grounds to seek cell tower records from a from a carrier, from a network operator. But now, apparently, because marketing services don't collect personal information, the rule doesn't apply. And so the IRS spent $20,000 to get a whole bunch of um, information about people in order to try and track them down. And that, to me, seems a bit off, right? I mean, maybe the, the reason I brought it up is because I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Is this a perfectly what legitimate they, thing for the iOS to do?
0: What did they get from them? What kind of information the did they get from actual, The
1: actual detail. Um, it, it's not, uh, I've not seen, I, uh, having looked into I, I I haven't seen a specific itemization of the kind of data they get, but what they have is um, supposedly anonymized location data from the marketing industry. Right. But if you're getting anonymized location data, then you can't track people down with it. Right. So there's got to be more to the story than that. You go, okay, so we want to track down people who we think are guilty of tax fraud. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a big spreadsheet which says, hey, 20,000 people were in this place at one point. No idea who any of them were, though. That seems like not something you'd spend 20 grand on. So. I don't quite understand it's, the detail
0: It here. said that, it says in this piece that the IRS um, it was criminal it, it, investigation It was unit, a Wall Street Journal piece, but um, it's been okay. re, it's
1: been re-reported all over the place.
0: Right. It says that it says that they use this database in significant money laundering, cyber, drug, and organized crime cases. So, to your point, act like they, this can't have just been anonymized, um, <coughs> anonymized, anonymized location data, location data. I mean, which is exactly
1: why I bring it up. I'm interested in,
0: um, I don't know. Do we
1: think this sort of thing where um, governments are buying marketing data and tracking and location data from cell phone carriers, is this a legitimate thing to do?
0: I mean, don't most, I I have a shocking lack of knowledge on this, but isn't there like rules in place whereby government agencies can basically get this information. But like what I want to understand is, was this information legally requested Which you'd normally have to do through some kind of like subpoena, right? Yeah, but Um,
1: that's exactly the point. Up until 2018, you needed reasonable grounds to get this information, right? If you were the government or uh, prosecutors, you needed reasonable grounds to request it in the same way that you might need um, a warrant or a subpoena or a judge's sign-off or whatever to do, a phone tap or something like that. But because these marketing services apparently don't collect personal information, then that doesn't apply now, apparently, since 2018.
0: Who are these? Who are these marketing services that they're talking about?
1: Um, this particular one is called Ventel. Um, who uh, the the thing I quoted earlier, they obtain anonymized anonymized location data from the marketing industry and resell it to governments.
0: Hmm. This something about this doesn't add up to me. Which like, is
1: exactly my thought. So I was hoping this seems maybe like someone something would- that would
0: be
2: worth digging into more and and doing. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a segment. I was I, 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 yeah. I was
1: I was hoping one of you might go, oh, no, no that's not how it is. It's like this. It's, you've completely misunderstood, Stuart. But I don't think I have.
0: This seems strange to me. Well, first of all, we're dealing with very little information. We don't know what the IRS information got. We don't know what this company provides, and we don't know how they used it. So we don't have a lot to go on. Um, it may be perfectly reasonable. I don't know, but... I mean, if it's if it's what we worry, it is, which is where these, you know, this data is being just provided to governments at a, you know, that to me is really disturbing. Um, but it may be more innocent than that. I don't know. So could be, could be. And then what's next? Um,
1: Well, the other big piece of news was uh, Apple's WWDC Worldwide Developer Conference, in which
0: yeah.
1: a, a bunch of stuff was announced. We talked about um, Apple going to ARM chips in the last show,
2: and that yeah, we, we did speculate on that. Yes.
1: Uh, Well, um, along with the whole rest of the internet, and it turns out us and the whole rest of the internet were completely correct. Send us our Nostradamus badge immediately. So one thing (laughs) I thought was
2: interesting here, and I should preface this with, I didn't watch the the WWDC keynotes or anything, but I have done a little bit of research on this topic specifically for this. Uh, They did not use the word arm once. They only said Apple Silicon. Apple Silicon. Apple
1: Silicon, yeah.
2: Which was a, a little fascinating to me.
1: I, yeah, I mean that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, uh, if you want uh, previous examples of this, go and find anyone at all who worked on XeroConf. Hmm.
0: <laughs>
1: this is the so, same thing. If, if if we didn't invent it, we're going to rebrand it so it looks like we invented it.
0: Yeah, and they are. Right. To be fair. <clears throat> the kings and queens of branding <laughs> or Apple. so I, they know what they're doing when it comes to branding
2: i am kind of curious what you both think about a couple aspects of this so given that in, in most modern machines the display and then the gpu are the two largest battery drains do you think there's going to be a huge difference here battery wise um to be honest with you now i
1: used to have this big drain that, uh, I wanted ARM laptops because if you had an ARM laptop, you'd get 100 hours of battery life out of it. And then someone who might have been Dave Mandala, I think, mm-hmm. sat me down wow. in a bar and spent 15 minutes explaining to me how it utterly isn't like that.
2: So, <laughs> um, I mean, I could easily see you getting 10% or something out of this. But yeah, beyond but, that, which yeah. is not a game changer in any way, no. shape. it's not like 30-hour laptops are coming.
0: No, no. no. And 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 I think you need to get to that. I think you need to get to that level of a difference for it to really matter. In the same way that you know when we talked about electric cars years ago, one of the reasons why Tesla has I think become so interesting to people is because they had so much more range than a lot of the earlier cars. Because they can do two hundred and fifty or
1: three hundred miles, and everyone else right. can still only do about one hundred and ten. Yeah.
0: I mean, right now a MacBook, my MacBook Pro, will go for. The whole day without needing a charge if it's been relatively yeah. lightly used. But this is so, not- like, it's, it's a kind of a solved problem for most people, I Yeah,
1: think. this is not the motivation for it. The motivation for it is, I mean, it's a useful thing to have if you want to be able to run the same apps on your phone and on your laptop, which now apparently Apple people have to now their laptops are running iOS.
2: So... so- This is where the other thing where I think it gets interesting is I am super curious how this is going to impact uh, like Graviton2 or just ARM on servers in general because I've played with them a little bit in, in AWS and there was always two or three things that just didn't quite work. It might be like one node module didn't work or one part of a tool chain didn't work right on ARM. And I think now that everyone will be testing them on laptops that are ARM, a bunch of things that w- would have maybe eventually got fixed in years and years and years will now get fixed in a very quick amount of time because of this so i'm I'm curious right. to see the impact on on arm servers because of this
1: yeah that that will be, i mean i suspect um uh john masters is super excited about this being
0: the arm oh server, god though. can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> you, this is like his dream isn't it i know he's <laughs>
2: I'm also curious how this is going to impact sales in the short term because at least in my experience, they've already said there's one more round of Intel laptops coming.
1: They're talking about supporting um, uh, Intel uh, MacBooks for years to come. And
2: Apple's obviously been through this twice now, right? So they know what they're doing, but the last generation Twice? Yeah, Yeah, they went from power to to, to Intel
1: Now that's once
2: They went from whatever was before power to power and then power to There was
1: there. There wasn't anything before power. I think they Mac- were was. always Mac- on power. Macintoshes no, PPC. PPC
2: chips. When I was eight years old. This is definitely the second change for, or the third change for them. Really, really, yeah.
1: Um, uh, huh. c- citation needed. I mean, I believe you. I would just like to know what their first change was. So, I mean, I remember um, Macintoshes.
0: Sixty-eight thousand. Yeah.
1: Oh well. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah, there were sixty-eight thousand chips. But um, but yeah. I mean, my two CI all the way back there. <laughs>
0: But Jeremy's yeah. looking it up, people.
1: Jeremy, I'm sure Jeremy is looking at it up. No. We'll, we'll
0: put the Jeopardy music on while we wait for the fact. I was
2: trying to look it up while also finishing my, uh, my point, which, are you going to buy the last generation on an old architecture that you know is going away? But equally, the first generation on a new architecture is also usually not great. So that yeah. means you have two releases in a row that are not ideal candidates, which I'm curious. Right. Like, if you were going to compete with Apple, I think you now have a year, 18-month window to to release something cool that potentially would actually get adopted. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I mean, I see your theory, but equally I think um, they've coupled it with paying some attention to the MacBook, which as far as I can tell, an awful lot of the people I know who are part of the Mac-using subset of the developer community are just excited about the fact that people said the word MacBook out loud rather than it just being about the iPhone the whole time. Mm, Fair. And and things like Rosetta 2, which is their X86-64 code on the ARM chips and so on, the same way they did the original Rosetta for PPC to Intel. Um, And it's not like they've announced this on stage and now they're going to start working on it. Um, Apple allegedly had Intel builds of OS X right from the beginning. Um, hmm. So they always knew they. Were I mean, I've not found anyone who will actually confirm that, but it's a pretty strong rumor. So I am assuming they've had um, uh, uh, Mac OS X running Mac OS X ten running on ARM right. for years at this point before they right. got to the point of announcing it. It
2: um, was it, it was sixty eight thousand to power PC power PC to Intel.
1: Okay, sixty eight thousand. Yeah. Okay. Now I'll give you that. I that mean, right.
2: <laughs> you were correct.
1: That was a total guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm honestly not sure that anyone who works at Apple now was working at Apple then. Half the people who work at Apple now weren't alive when All that right. transition L- happened. L- last last Mac 68K. <laughs> was,
2: it,
1: was it that it um, the two CI or the two CX or roundabout about that sort of era? So it would have been early nineties, mid nineties, maybe.
2: Was I'm interested.
1: Um, did you see while Jeremy's looking at the that Performa up, um,
2: and the Quadra?
1: Oh, really? Of
2: which I've heard Uh none of. Um, Mid-90s.
1: Yeah, mid-90s. I remember the call. PowerBook
2: 190 CS was the last release, October of 96. There you go. Right. So it's an unreasonably long time ago. So quarter I, quarter of
1: a century ago.
2: <laughs> <laughs> literally,
1: everyone who worked there at that point is retired or yes, dead for sure. At this point. <laughs> <So> <laughs> did,
2: did, did you see the other things that happened at WD, T, WWDC? Not to shake the whole news uh, up with the I saw. A, there was... I saw.
1: I saw the GNOME desktop on an Apple keynote stage, which I thought was nice. What? What was the GNOME
0: Desktop doing on an Apple Keynote stage?
1: They were um, demonstrating running Linux in a window, basically. So brought up, um, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but there it was, GNOME Desktop. And I thought, oh, cool, I'm running
0: running that now. Nice. So Um, has VMware Player just appeared on a Mac recently? um, Well, (laughs)
1: um,
0: it's not
1: clear. um, I didn't quite understand whether what they were demonstrating was something like Parallels, where um, uh, it's actually running... uh, ARM Linux stuff or XA6 Linux stuff on the new ARM laptops or ARM Linux stuff on the XA6 laptops or whatever. Or whether it's um or or whether it's a more like a sort of a KVM thing where they were showing ARM Linux stuff on an ARM Mac. Laptop or what? I, I, think, know. I, I didn't. I didn't quite grasp it. I did look into it a bit and couldn't understand. But I don't know whether that's because I'm looking in the wrong places or what. So I'd be interested to know exactly what they were demonstrating with it. And I didn't watch the keynote partially because when I try and watch Apple stuff, it normally says, uh you do not have supported video drivers" or something. Uh, and
0: secondly, because wwd Seriously, if you what if the you fuck, it, are you talking about? Every show, you're like, I can't watch this because it's in the wrong have country, you use a VPN. I can't use this because I've not got the right video have, driver. Have you, have you tried watching an Apple
1: stream thing on an Android phone? Well, let you. Of course I haven't. No.
2: I mean, so I would like to echo John O's statement. I have not, but I, it works, I, I would guess.
1: Yeah, you would guess. And it doesn't.
0: Citation needed
1: okay I, I will i will i will provide i will provide you the citation
2: i will is this a is it is this, this a
0: g1 android phone you're
2: watching it on right no. so for those of us in the modern time so pixel three it will or will not work your g1 yep. i'm not including in this
1: my uh i i think i think my um my nokia is actually newer than your phone
0: yeah but it says nokia on the side so it doesn't matter <laughs>
1: Well, well, we shall, we we shall, we shall check it out. I mean, presumably it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you two with your MacBooks, but you know the rest of us. <laughs> That's not an insult. Also, I own
2: a I'm MacBook. A bunch sure,
0: I did. I didn't say it was an insult. Did you think it was? It sounded like an insult. It certainly <laughs> came across as an attempted insult. Instead, it was a statement of that I've got a MacBook next to me on my desk. That was that was all, right. all it was intended
1: all to be, but. Oh. All yeah. right, all right, Roy
0: Shesterwitz. So
1: <laughs> WWDC was potentially interesting. Uh,
2: did you follow done, the whole Hay thing? I did. Do you want to give a because they did release really some information that directly applies to that? Do you want to give a 90
0: second overview of, of what your take on the Hay situation? Well, yeah. maybe talk a, b- a little bit first about what happened, like the app not getting them not getting approved. Yeah,
1: so yeah. Um, so the way it works is if you submit an app to um, Apple's App Store, um, and uh, and someone pays for things within the app, you have to tie thirty percent of that money to Apple, right. um, uh, including subscriptions, unless um, you are a big deal. Or there are certain on, exemptions for, for one streaming second.
0: things. Hang on a second. Are you saying that if your app is in the store, I didn't know this this particular angle, and you have a paid subscription, like your $99 a month, whatever it might be, or a year or whatever, yeah. 30% of that subscription yes. has to go to Apple as well. Yes. Yes. Did not know that this okay, is why this
1: This is why people have been complaining about it. It doesn't apply to some streaming stuff, really um, so, yeah. so Netflix get away Quote with it. Quote unquote, reader apps, reader apps, yes. And it and it basically doesn't apply if you're a really big deal. So if you're big enough that Apple will, that you say we're not going to pay that. And if you make us pay it will withdraw our app and Apple don't want you to, then you can get away with it. But you have to be an alarmingly heavy hitter to pull that off.
2: So the way I've seen it explained by them is if you are not the one if if the consumer is not the one who pays, they will make an exception. So like Slack, you don't pay for Slack, your company pays for Slack. Was uh, the the way that they explained it. Or you know, office yeah. you you don't pay for exchange licenses, your company does.
1: Again, um, this seems this seems very much to be the sort of thing where if you're in that position and you're a semi-big deal, that's okay. You try making that argument if you're a one-person app and which, you'll get the bums-rush PDQ. Which so,
2: segues nicely to Basecamp and a new email client yes, called
0: Hey.
1: Called Hey.
0: Um, which, terrible uh, name for a client.
1: Which we should potentially review.
0: Um We should, yeah. We Uh, did Superhuman, so we should do Hey.
1: We did, we should look at it. Um, So, uh, they put their app in the store, and then it got, well, it didn't just get rejected, it got included, Um, but then Apple said, Hey, hey. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well played. You are, are, um, uh, you're getting people to pay for subscriptions, you have to give 30% to us. Um, The Basecamp people, um, David Hallamore-Hanson and Jason Freed uh, took an absolutely sterling stance and went, how about you eat a bag of shit? We're, no way are we giving you 30% of the money. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a vitriolic
2: episode of Bad Voltage here. Yeah. It's, vo- <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you know, it's get,
1: get stuffed. We're not doing that. And Apple went, okay, <laughs> then we're we're not going to pull your app. We're just going to prevent you from
2: publishing any
1: updates to it.
2: <laughs> and it would be a shame if it got pulled, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's very much a kind of you know, um, uh, nice, nice, nice shop you've got here. Shame if anything happened to it. Capone sort of approached things. It certainly sounds like that, doesn't it? Which is exactly how it was. And so, um, wow, we we once again see the value of uh, going public with this sort of thing because uh, uh, DHH specifically. And wrote a big long who never goes, about public, this. With and who goes public with anything. Oh, goes public quite a lot of stuff because it's the right <laughs> thing to do because it's the only way we get to actually apply pressure to big companies. And check it out, he applied public pressure to a big company and they folded.
2: It works. Mm, kind so, of. well. So what they did at WWDC, from what I could tell, is first, developers will now not only be able to appeal decisions about whether a specific app violates a given guideline in the App Store review policy, but they will also have a mechanism to challenge the guideline itself. Uh, second, for apps that have, are, that have already been accepted to the App Store, bug fixes will no longer be delayed over guideline violations except for those t- pertaining directly to a legal issue. So I, I think it is... One, that's the right thing for Apple to do. Two, that they claim to be for developers and took this long to do something so basic is a little surprising, but shows you the monopoly power that Apple realistically has at this point, which was, I think, part of the point was to have to not only not only do they take 30% you have to implement their in app purchasing yes which has a whole bunch of other knock-on effects because let's say now you change phones or change platforms it's not going to be a smooth transition if you do anything that isn't very basic in your payment structure you now have to support two completely different payment paths like not only does it add complexity not only do they get their 30 percent it adds a fair amount of complexity to an app yeah, and it, it also dictates billing models in a way that a lot of companies don't want dictated to them.
1: It's it's like an example you'd give to a five-year-old child to explain what lock-in is. Right. Yeah. And and they so did. um this the the public pushback made Apple change their minds. And I think a lot of this is because they don't like looking like they're on the wrong side of history. And there weren't that many people defending them here. Um. No. The, no. Um, no. Basically, everyone went. the 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 best pro Apple reaction you got was indifference. <clears throat> Someone there said, was a well, couple of very high profile one.
2: Apple people that almost always take Apple stance that were very much like, mm, "Yeah, this is the one time. No, this is."
1: Yeah, uh, you, it's, 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 it's if you've gone too far for John Gruber. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> it's, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's funny as well because I never really thought about it until this discussion that. If you're selling a, 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 an app in the store, right, and it costs $6, right, then them taking their cut from that sale, I kind of see the point that. That seems reasonable. Um, but if your app is free, like so many of these apps, and then you pay the service, Netflix or Hey or whatever it might be, um, I can see Apple's perspective from one side of the like We need to figure out a way of making money from those free apps. So I can see taking some kind of cut and maybe it is, you know, you take a cut of, of sales of that particular service. But I think if you did that, 30% is is so exorbitantly high. It seems really unfairly high to me because at the end of the day, hey, you're doing all of the engineering work in building the app in building their service and all the rest of it. So I get the district taking a small fee for the fact that it's in the store and people can access it. But it just seems like they're taking the piss, right? Like it just seems... I get the genesis of why they want to do this, but it seems like they've pushed it just way too far. And I bet Hay would be fine. Like if they said, you know, "I don't want to speak for DHH," but if they said, "Look, if it's a reasonable, some kind of reasonable reasonable fee," I'm sure they'd be fine with it. But this is this is way too much.
1: And that's where I think all the pushback came from. It looks yeah. like what it is, which is flagrant exploitation of the fact that you you own the platform.
0: Does this happen with Google? Have they? Got a track record of this with their app store no, as much? You, I don't no, think so, do they? No, though?
1: you do not have to use their payment stuff. No. Right. All if right. you do use their payment stuff, they get to keep money. And um, their payment stuff is more tightly integrated into the phone and easier to use than other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But you are not obliged to use it.
0: COVID-19. It is something that has been dominating all of our worlds. Um, and we thought it would be interesting to talk about COVID-19 in this show and the next show. And I know what you're all thinking. Oh, God, we're sick of hearing about the damn coronavirus because it's all we're living. But we thought it would be interesting to talk about in this show, how has tech changed? Like, how have things changed in terms of, you know, video conferencing, in terms of apps for contact tracing, in terms of content and all of these different pieces? Um, just to kind of observe what's been going on. And then in the next show, we actually want to talk about what we think the future world is going to look like once we... Um, what? How did you describe it, Ack, in terms of how we get out of this particular pandemic?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, like um, Tim Robbins climbing out of the pipe full of
0: shit in the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Which seems incredibly apt. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, let's... Why don't we, first of all, Jeremy, do you want to go over... Because we talked about the um, the Apple and the Google tech that they were building
2: out. We did. Yeah, so don't we talk about a a brief overview of what we discussed then, kind of segue to where we think technology is going to play a role now. And then, like you said, next show, we'll kind of cover what do we think the post-pandemic tech world looks like. But for regular listeners of the show, you will have heard this. If not, you now have two shows to go back and listen to. So (laughs) yay for you. So in episode two of season three, we covered the Apple and Google contact tracing partnership. And, you know, very much noted that it was quite rare for those two companies to partner at the level that they did. And we were curious and speculated on how widely this would be adopted. Uh, The technology is based on DPT3, which act in the show notes linked to the comic which is to date still the best explanation of dpt3 that i've seen so if you are curious how that the the, it's changed names now it's the exposure notification technology if you're curious how that works check out the show notes and listen to episode two of season three in episode one, we actually covered the role we think the role technology can play in a crisis. Very long discussion of which, obviously, this is a small component. What I find interesting here is given that between Apple and Google, they have in the U.S. the vast majority of phones are, are one of those two phones. Uh, pretty much similar for the rest of the world with a couple of small exceptions. If you look at United States, Alabama, North Dakota, South Carolina, and Virginia have said they will release apps on this. Almost all the rest of the states said no, specifically a couple have no comment. Even hmm. spreading it out to the rest of Earth. So far, Switzerland, Latvia, Italy, Germany, Poland, Saudi Arabia, and Denmark have launched apps. And that's it. The UK was actually going to go with the privacy-preserving proximity tracing, which is not dbt3, uh, and they just, in the last two or three days, have switched over and are going to use the Apple-slash-Google
0: Oh, I didn't know uh, that exposure yeah. notification technology. Because we covered API. this, they're the big centralized NHS thing, right? So
2: France, France, UK, we're going to go with the more centralized version. Yes. But they have oh, changed. Yeah. They
1: have changed their mind after having spent eleven million pounds of my money on the previous app, which they're now throwing away and doing it the Apple That's, and Google way. By the
0: way. That's just in case you hadn't picked up on this act. That's not annoying at all. <laughs> <laughs> Good grape, Okay. <laughs> so
2: considering Pan-European is in the name of that protocol, it, I think it's basically just France left from what I can tell that's sticking to that.
1: As far as I can tell, Yes.
2: And right, Germany, right. Italy, a couple of the other countries have open source their app. They're on GitHub. Uh, from what I can tell, Germany is just SAP employees, but um, they're all open-source. So I was right. interested at how low it seems the adoption of this was. I, I kind of was under the presumption, pri- like we covered the privacy issues then, so we won't get into it now, that a bunch of these apps would be released because Apple and Google are the behemoths of the industry. And it very much seems like that isn't the case, especially in the US. Opinions
0: there? Thoughts on why that is? I, I have not been keeping up with this topic, but uh, all I want to know, and maybe you can answer this, is... I have an Android phone right here and I want to switch on whatever this contact tracing thing is to play my part as a citizen. When I, when do I get it and how do I well, turn it on? There
1: are, there are two different parts of this. The stuff which um, Apple and Google build is basically hooks in the operating system to right. allow an app to do contact tracing. Yes. Right, but, that, right. that, but that's not actually an app to do contact tracing. Someone still has to build I, the app.
0: Oh, I thought that was going to be I thought Apple and Google were building it into their OS No 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 what, what uh, they not what, just the kernel, just Yeah.
1: But uh, um if you want to be if you want to be a contact tracing app, um, then you basically have to be paying attention all the time. Right? Apps aren't allowed to do yes. that. Um <laughs> Right. If you if yeah. you buy an app for a phone, it's not allowed to watch all your Bluetooth traffic, um, detect everyone who's near you, um, and be running all the time and never get put into the background for obvious reasons, right? Right. It of would course. be the yeah. biggest yeah. privacy hole in the universe. Um yeah. But obviously you need to do that if you are a COVID 19 tracing app. So what they did was they built in enough essentially a trapdoor into the OS, which allows you to do this if you're a COVID app, as long as you obey the it has to be anonymous then. They haven't just gone just declare you yourself to be a contact tracing app and then you can do what you like. What they do is so basically
2: what Google and Apple both said is you, if you are a government agency or a private entity approved by the government, every every region can have one COVID app that yeah. is approved. And one of the requirements is that you cannot have location enabled at all and the app the app can't support location tracing. So that you can segment the two. And once it's signed and the government approves and all all the requirements are met, that's the app for the location. So you can and then there's a bunch of open source ones as well.
0: Yes. I was under the impression that Apple would just get effectively the <clears throat> from the user's perspective, there was just gonna be a no. there's gonna be a switch inside of the settings that you would say enable contact tracing and then off you went. So if you and go into Apple Google if you go to settings Google, there is a COVID
2: nineteen section now. If you don't oh. have any apps installed, it will be grayed out once you install an app it will enable the api enable the framework oh i see got it it will be available you can delete your data from that that setting you can turn it off from that setting but until you install the app
0: the the framework isn't started so so to make this work and it, again we don't want to retread too much ground on this but just to make this work for the average consumer such as myself right i'm going to need to download an app from the android app store from the play store install the app and make sure the setting's enabled. But the contact tracing is not going to be enabled unless I go and get the app. Correct. Correct. Okay. This to me seems like a problem because if you want people to adopt this, I would have thought that it would just be a slider inside of Android built into Android. My worry about people installing the app is a lot of people won't know to install well, the app. Even but if,
1: the flip side of that is um, if, you've, um, if you're going to do contact tracing... Um, and it's just built into Android. Where do you send the information? Because I don't want um, the information about who I'm contacting sent to somewhere in California, ignoring all the privacy implications. I need to go to the NHS. They're the people who need to know about it. So, how yeah. does it know where to yeah. send it? Which is why the app you install is what dictates that. So, you That's install right. the app from your local government, whoever that is. Uh, that makes, I mean, there's also sense, a bunch
2: yeah. of other components. So, once you are COVID positive, you submit your data upstream, and then basically yes. that's how the contact tracing starts. You need a key from an approved medical entity so that you can't yeah. just spam the database. So there's a whole bunch of safeguards right. and, and other things in place.
0: And which I'm sure they're going to pre-install out. the app on new phones and whatever else. So anyway. No, they couldn't because they, yeah. they don't know where, they don't know where, where you sold. live. Yeah. No, but if you buy if you buy a phone in the US, then you'll get the US app, right? Oh, but
1: I don't think there'll be a US app. It. There'll be a California app,
0: surely. And, oh, uh, it's that granular. In the U.S., it is yes.
1: Well, because oh. b- because what the hell does the um, Arizona Health Authority know about you? Answer nothing. You wanted a federal system. Here it is, suckers. And the,
2: the thing with COVID <laughs> tracing is, that you basically have a one-day window, given when they think you're contagious and when you start to show symptoms. You really have about a 24-hour window, so contact tracing has to be super rapid to be effective. For yeah, it. you you basically need. Mm about 24 hour window and 60% of the population participating for this to be effective, which is what like New York state has gone on the record saying they're going to do human contact tracers and they're hiring tens of thousands of people to do it. Curious if that will be effective. It seems given the two parameters there will
0: be difficult, especially in a state of of this size, but that's, that's the approach New York has taken. So it's the idea here that you don't touch this until you get the COVID. And when you get COVID, you install the app, you switch it on. Is that how it works? Or do you have to install no, the app opposite. now? You, before- you
2: install the app, you switch it on. If you never test positive, you don't do anything. Right. Once you're confirmed positive. That's what I thought. You yeah. press a button saying, I have COVID, and it uploads the data. And then That's every right. other phone is checked. It's basically, you send out a code every five minutes. And if another phone is near you, it'll say, okay, I was by this random code. And when you upload yeah, right. that code to the service...
1: That's Every phone thought, then yeah. checks
2: and says, "Has I, have I been by anyone yeah. on the list, basically. You can imagine yeah. your phone going- Way I'm, oversimplified, I'm, oh, look at the comic, but-
1: Yeah, but you can imagine, yeah, your phone's going, I'm Jono, I'm Jono, I'm Jono, I'm Jono. And then when you declare positive, everyone goes, have I seen Jono? Except it's not Jono, it's a randomly generated code, it, and there's a bunch yeah. of yeah, yeah, crypto yeah. bollocks in there. But yeah, yeah, the principle is like that. <laughs> yeah. And, lo- and like Jeremy says, the comic's a brilliant description of it. Um, so, but your question is, why have- Governments, whether state government, national governments, whatever. Why have they... So are you surprised this hasn't seen more adopted? adoption
2: and,
0: and why not? Why hasn't it? Right. Well, I mean, I just, I think when you, to me, my theory is when you want anyone to do anything, right, the more barriers you put in the way of them doing that thing, it's going to significantly impact adoption. And um, I would have thought that just, I know that you pro- it's probably a necessity, but asking people to know about an app, to go and download an app, to correctly install the app, different, and to switch the app on.
1: Different thing. Um, because if you went with um, the alternative approaches, which other government's pushing, you still have to download and install an app, unless you're of the opinion that the government of Bolivia ought to be able to mandate that Google put stuff into Android, which I imagine my, you're my- not.
0: My assumption behind this was that Apple and Google were working. and this is obviously an incorrect assumption, was that Apple and Google working together to create a system for contact tracing that will be built into the operating system. So you get an update on your Samsung Galaxy or your iPhone or whatever, and then there is basically a slider that you turn on and you're done. And then it's 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 tracking it. No, right, but they'd see the, pre- be- the the
1: previous issues with that about it doesn't know where to send the data.
0: Right, but I would have thought that that would have been a solvable problem. You just you, you just what? select it in your in your <laughs> in your. In, there'd be a setting there. It be it knows where you are. Right. It's just it just seems to me that there's a technical solution to this problem, knowing where you are and selecting the right place to send the data, and they'd have to bake it into the operating system. I completely agree with you. Right, there's no doubt about that. I just think that this is going to significantly impact adoption. I, I mean, it's hard enough to stop I, my mother-in-law sending I, I me MP4s so via email. We
2: have so little time in this segment. Yeah, let's move on
0: because there, there's a lot <laughs> to this. Um, let's take this to the Slack channel. That's a great place to discuss. this. That, that is
1: interesting, <laughs> yeah, because what, what I would like to see people talk about is not why haven't people adopted it. It's why didn't governments adopt it in the first place.
2: Right. I think right. a, a large portion of why people <laughs> wouldn't adopt it in the U.S. is people do not respond well to being told to isolate by an app. It's just going to be... Yeah. So that's and, not- I,
1: I, and I think yeah. governments don't respond well to being told to do things by Apple and Google. So... <laughs> but yeah, this, so, is a Slack yeah. Cha- this is a Slack channel discussion.
2: So then moving on to, you know, that's kind of where we are from that perspective. Where yeah. do we think technology can be helpful you know, now, not, not far into the future, but as we're going through all of this together and the shared experience, I think that this doesn't have to be all aspirational. As I said before, when we were kind of planning the show, there's a lot of aspirational We're the valley, we're going to change everything, but technology sometimes I think can play a helpful, but much smaller role. And those things are a little bit additive in my opinion. So has technology for either of you directly impacted how you're dealing with this current situation?
1: Well, I have I have a nice little example here, um, which is uh, Jump Twenty Four, which is a, a, an agency company here in Birmingham, run by Dan Nunes, who I think I know Daniel. Yeah, you've met him. Yeah, um, yeah, good guy. He's a good guy. Um, short but good guy, and <laughs> very short and hilarious as well. And he is hilarious. And um, they bought a thing called Order A W E D E R, which is for um restaurants. And it's it's for restaurants who want to um, pivot to doing home delivery or collection. Um, you know, people who weren't really geared up for this, but because they they were restaurants where you went in and sat down. But obviously, they want to stay alive, so they so a lot of places switch to doing collection, and. You, so you, you've got, um, a couple of organizations here who do that kind of thing. So this, so I think in the US, you've got DoorDash and stuff like that. you've grab hub and whatever. You've else. got yep. Just Eat and a couple of others, whatever. But they, basically their business model is we're going to take money off the top of this and you have to use our ordering system. And so if you sign up with Just Eat, they basically send you a tablet. In which the order the orders go in through their website and then they come yep. into this tablet and you've got to pay attention to it, you've got to use all their stuff and you've got to go through a big sign up process
0: and everything. You're not wrong. That's yeah. definitely. I went to a restaurant once, by the way, and they had like six tablets, each yeah. for the different delivery services. Yes. Nightmare, <laughs> right. right? Um so the
1: the goal behind or the reason that's difficult. Well, sorry, I will be faced there are two reasons why you have to go through this big process. The first one is because Just Eat handle the money right hmm. which means that there are a whole bunch of actual legal requirements because the money goes through you so you don't become the world's biggest money laundering hub and right. so on right. um so and on but on that, on top of that it's also their business model is to uh they want to lock you in as much as possible obviously they want to make it difficult for you to switch to other places because locking is the way we do business now um But what this means is that if you are a restaurant and the lockdown starts and you think, okay, we've got to pivot to delivering things or allowing people to collect stuff. You don't want to have to go through a two week process of approval and signing up for them and everything and then getting the tablet delivered and retraining your staff to learn how to use it and then giving a bunch of your money to these upstream people. What you want to do is just be able to say, okay, by this afternoon, we want to take orders. So what order does is it makes you put your own Stripe account in as oh, okay. a restaurant. So um, you, you've still got to type in your menu and stuff like that, and you still go through the order website. But the goal of the thing is precisely that it's designed to get small restaurants up and running quickly, because none of the money goes to the order. Um, it just go it's paid directly from the customer to the restaurant via their own Stripe account. And the and you're not meant to go to order to find places to eat. There's no list of all the restaurants it contains.
0: So you'd go to their website. Yeah, the and only their is you, menu go, you is... go to the
1: restaurant's website. So it's more like uh, open table or something like that. I mean, presumably there are people who go, I don't know where to go. I'll go to Open table and see what's available. But in my experience, what you do is uh, the only time I ever interact with Open table is when I go to a restaurant's website and, and then they lead me the to website. their Open table page or it's embedded or right. So that was yeah, the goal yeah, yeah. and And it's, it's open source and it's all cool. But that. I thought it was nice because the team managed to turn it around. I was involved a bit at the beginning, but they managed to sort of build the whole thing relatively quickly with the intention of saying, here's a small local service, um, that's easy to sign up for. Um, it's painless to get involved with. And yeah. what it's not doing is, tr- I mean, I'm sure, um, that people at DoorDash and Just Eat and Grubhub and whatever, have gone absolutely wild um chasing every restaurant on earth say you should sign up with us so you can keep delivering because they think, hooray, now we're gonna make tons of money because we take a dollar out of every one of these transactions. Yeah. Um but and to some, you know, I mean, they deserve a bit of money. They are running a service, it's not like it's free of charge or anything, but it feels a tiny bit exploitative to me. And doing something Why? Why? Because you don't have to build things that way. You can build something which makes it easy for a restaurant to talk with its customers without ceding a bunch of its money to well, some that's company not exploitative.
0: Elsewhere. That's that's not exploitative. That's just an option. It's not like you've already got a relationship with that person and you're forcing them down a path. You know what is exploitative, I would argue, is what we were just talking about with Apple where people who've already got their apps in the store and then they keep change, pulling the rug out from underneath them, that to me is exploitative. It sounds like DoorDash are just, they've got one option, order is a different option, and then the restaurant can choose which one they want to go with, right? Mm. Maybe this is a semantics thing.
1: It, it's, uh, I, I, I suspect it's a political positions thing. Well, and the thing <laughs> but, is as but, well, well as... Yeah, leave well, but, leave, well, leave, and, leave and, that to one side. Regardless, right. what what I liked about it is, I mean... I like the fact that it was geared towards doing something small for businesses who just want to get involved with it. It's not meant to be a big deal. It's not meant to be – there's no plan at the end of this where half the companies on earth are in this and then we IPO, right? Right. Um, And that's what – um the reason I brought it up is because of what Jeremy said about stuff doesn't have to be aspirational. You don't have to build – you don't have to use technology to build stuff which is going to change the world or get everyone on board or lead to a big exit in two years. There are things you can do yeah. where you just build stuff that seems,
0: you know, nice. Yeah. I mean, and its I think it's nice to just like have options because I think the one thing that all of us don't like is is when you've got one dominant player and everybody is basically that's the only option, right? So I think, you know, there'll be some restaurants where order is going to be just a really nice option for them, and for some where they'd go with DoorDash or they'd go with Grubhub or whatever it might be, or they may go with all of them. I don't know. Um, the other thing as well that strikes me is like Zoom. I mean, this is Zoom has just been a a big big deal. Like I think a lot of people use Zoom because that was that's what they'd heard other people using who were less familiar with video conferencing. But seeing it being used, for example, in virtual pubs and schools and stuff like that, I think is really yeah, cool.
1: I don't think I'd 100% agree with you, purely on the grounds that I don't think the reason people pick Zoom is because everyone had heard of it. Because if you look with something everyone had heard of, you pick Skype, right? Which is way more name recognizable. I think the reason people pick Zoom is because it's actually better at video conferencing. i got a lot of problems with the way yeah. they do business, but I think people started using Zoom rather than Skype. Exactly, because Zoom's actually better.
0: Well, I think people think of Skype as more of a one-on-one thing to make calls with. I it think people be, see yeah. Zoom as more Zoom of a working a well
2: with no software installed had a lot to do with it. So if anyone yeah, had heard totally of it agree. and sent a Zoom link, everyone could just join without installing anything or logging in or really doing anything yeah. from every platform, I think is why it caught on
0: for this use case specifically.
1: Oh, uh, well, for the web. This is why the web's great
0: remember. Idea. I remember when COVID <laughs> first kicked off, there was an article somewhere... Mm-hmm. And it was like, it just goes to show the bubble I think we all live in. And it was like, Zoom, the video conferencing sensation you've never heard of. (laughs) And I was like, what? Fucking everyone's heard of Zoom, right? And then I started just doing a bit of an informal poll of people who I know who in my family and and other people are like, never heard of it. (laughs) Number of people in Walnut Creek who have heard of Zoom, all of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
1: The, the crossover is about the same number of people who've heard the phrase arm chip
2: <laughs> um, but i
1: think um you mentioned the virtual pub there that to me that's been quite a big thing
2: you know, yeah, b- I mean, people... isolation is not good for mental health and having no. the communication tools in general, Zoom versus whatever, Skype aside, having modern communication tools in a time like this has been a game changer. Because if this was yeah. 1918 and the Spanish flu, you'd just be in your house by yourself with a candle.
1: Seriously, if this was 2012,
2: I don't think yeah. we could have done this,
1: right? It's not like, you know, this is a thing we've had forever, but they didn't have in 1918. I don't think we had it five years ago.
0: There's not that many Akiga users out there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a blast from the past, but uh, but but that I think is interesting. Like you say, the the tools that we've got. I mean, another a nice example of that in my mind is the 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 lack of mediation required in between people and their audience. So Patrick Stewart, as an example, has been reading um, Shakespeare poetry, you know, Shakespeare sonnets every day, and yeah. I mean, presumably at least part of this is because he's not doing any other work, right? Yeah. Um, Which means he has the freedom to do it. And it's not like he's going, oh, no, I haven't got any other work. How am I going to pay the mortgage? He's a super rich movie star. But he's able to just do this thing. And they're just like, you know, him holding up his phone and filming himself sitting on his sofa. There's no production here. But it's still a really nice thing that we're in a position to do that, where, again, we probably wouldn't have been. I mean, if you look at, um, so when, uh, the, the writers guild strike happened when 2008?
0: Yeah, it was like something like that.
1: 2010, something like yeah. whatever it was. And Joss Whedon did Doctor Horrible where none of them could work on their actual jobs. So he basically rang up a bunch of his mates and said, Hey, we'd like to make a little TV show. Are you into it? And they all went, Yeah, that sounds like a laugh. We'll do it for fun, but it still cost them a million dollars to do it. And this is a the thing they did for a laugh, and no one got paid, and they still had hmm. to spend a million bucks producing it. Now, admittedly, that's a proper thing with proper cameras, and and it was actually yeah, filmed yeah. and so on. It's not yeah. Patrick Stewart doing selfie sonnets, yeah. but it still feels to me like we've um, there's that sense of connectivity which you didn't have before.
0: Yeah, I, I think what's interesting about that as well is. When social mo- media first became started becoming popular, everybody talked about how, you know, celebrities have more of a direct line to their audiences. And you have a direct line to celebrities, which was really cool. But I think what is what you're touching on here, which I think is really distinctive, is I think like actors especially, Patrick Stewart, I think is a good example of this. I mean, he's a natural entertainer, right? So in a time like a pandemic, he's his his natural inclination is I should try and entertain people. And like John Krasinski did his um, Some Good News YouTube thing as well, which I thought was really cool, especially because people were so down on it and it's really family friendly and a lot of kids watch it and stuff like that. I don't know if you saw any of them, but like, for example, he pulled together the cast of Hamilton and they all sang one of the songs from Hamilton for this like (laughs) adorable little eight-year-old girl. Um, It was really cool. It was like a breath of fresh air. And I think a lot of people, have kind of discounted a little bit how important this stuff is. Because we all, we all talk about Zoom is brilliant and all the rest of it. And that is great. But I think if it wasn't for some of these celebrities doing this and lightening the mood a little bit, it would be really difficult, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah,
1: I mean, the Critical Role team um, have done a similar kind of thing because they they're all um, stuck at home. They've been doing this thing called narrative telephone, where, you know, the game where you tell a story and then the next person has to retell that story, right. like, consequences, yep. and you go around to all seven or eight people. So they've been doing that on video, doing it from home, and it's because they can't do the normal thing they do. But it's it's really nice that people can do this.
2: I'm curious if this will have an impact longer term on how kind of entertainment works. So, obviously, now we're all stuck at home. So, the bar for production value is much lower than it normally would be. When things are back to normal, will people like the little more authentic but less polished content? Or will they go back to wanting Hollywood-produced major things? Or will there be more of a balance? Curious to see how it will change perceptions once this is over.
1: Well, that's an interesting thing because I'd like to get into that. But I think that's a whole huge topic by itself. So I wonder if we should take what does the post pandemic world look like and expand on it in a lot more detail in the next show.
0: Yes. I think that's a a good time to do it because there's a lot in there, right? There's there's, I mean, one, one example of thing I want to get into in the next show is to kind of wet people's appetite is I had a conversation with somebody who shall go unnamed who runs a large conference. Okay. Now, Many of you are going to think I'm talking about Alan because we're friends with him. I'm not talking about Alan. I'm talking about somebody else, okay? Um, and he was basically considering um, moving his conference wholesale to virtual events and, and maybe even um, using his limited funds to start building a virtual events platform. That opens up the question, is this a short-term thing or is this a long-term thing? And I think there's so much to get into there. Um, so... Yeah, I think we probably want to tie a bow on this one. Yeah. I'd like to hear from our community like what they've seen, like what's really stuck out as technology that's been interesting through the change with the pandemic as we've been living through it. So
1: Yes. And um what uh because we're uh, we can talk about this boy in the next show, um, you know, doubleheader. What we what would yeah. be useful to hear is your thoughts, listeners, on how you think the world will change once we finally get out the far end of this um yeah what do, do you think um v- conferences will start to go virtual do you think that people are gonna prefer stephen colbert sitting in a corner of his own library rather than in the ed sullivan theater <laughs> um yeah you know how how are things going to change
0: are, are, are people going to go back to work at, uh, like offices yeah big um, question are we right? not
1: going to get well, the, a picard there's a lot series to too though in yep. favor yeah. of patrick stewart just filming himself on his own sofa i don't know
0: <laughs> you know one thing that i think is going to stick for a lot of people though which uh, uh w- without getting too down this a- avenue though is the virtual pub like mm. i mean a good example is jeremy um and a bunch of other people and i we because you know we live on opposite sides of the u.s and we've had a bunch of like yeah. Sessions on Zoom, a couple of cocktails and catching up. We would never have done that because of the pandemic. And I think little things like that are going to stick, but I'm curious yeah. to see what's going to happen. I was
2: gonna say, save it for the next show.
0: Save it for the next show.
2: But what I am curious for those, for, as you say, for those of you in the community, we, we talked about how, wh- what we've done or how technology has impacted us during this. Curious how technology has improved your day to day. And like I said, they don't have to all be large, major shifts, but if technology you think has demonstrably improved how you've handled this situation, we'd love to hear about it on Slack or in the forums.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Big thanks also, as usual, to our friend and your friend, Marius Quebec from NerdZoom Media for mixing and mastering and the whole c- kit and caboodle for the show. And we'll see you on the other side. Kit
2: and caboodle. It's a...
0: I think it's a thing.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm calling the show now. <laughs> ah, there we go Recording mm,
0: One, two, three, three. Four, five, six, six seven, seven, eight, nine, ten. Sorry, Marius. That was loud, wasn't it? <laughs>